Well, I would like us now to take a few minutes and reflect together on our first reading from 1 Samuel 15, and also to work into that reflection themes of the emotionally healthy spirituality course, especially the first chapter, which we begin today across all of our Trinity locations and would encourage you to journey with us through this study. And yet we also enter into today with really heavy hearts, hearts that are weighed down by the systemic injustice and the violence that lives at the heart of our society as we over the last few days especially have been reminded again of the violence in our country, particularly towards our African-American brothers and sisters. And I will simply say as a white male, I feel my own inadequacies in being able to speak into this moment. And yet as my friends of color have reminded me that is exactly where I need to be. That it is not a place or time for me to step in or to lead or to offer solutions, but it is a time for me to be quiet and to learn to listen and more significantly to learn to repent, to repent of ways in which I have been complicit in the sufferings of others, ways in which my own blindness has led to pain and violence towards others in systemic ways. And so I would encourage you to do the same as you listen, especially if I could be so bold as to say, if you are a white person listening today, for us to take that posture of humility and of repentance and say, God, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Show me where I am blind. As I said, when we began this morning, this is not just, I think, timely to be doing EHS, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, but it's also a blessing to enter into this conversation today on Trinity Sunday. Trinity Sunday is a reminder of what is ultimately true, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that's not just some abstract theological idea, it's a reminder that at the heart of all of existence, that God himself is Father, Son, and Spirit, three distinct persons, yet fully equal, united and bound together by love. And if that isn't a picture of how we as humans are meant to live and to love one another, then I don't know what is. Such a profound reminder for us that we as human beings are distinct and different and yet fully equal because that is the very picture of God himself. And so I think it's a great gift for us to enter into these themes today, especially on Trinity Sunday, and to say, God, as Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, have mercy on us and heal the wounds, heal the brokenness that divides us so that we, as your people, as the human race, as the church, can reflect what it means to be made in your image. And so if that is the goal I would simply say 1 Samuel 15 reminds us of how often we come up short. The last few weeks have reminded uh, us of that as well. And it's simply a reminder that this is a human struggle to be a human being, though the, the details may look different in all times and all places, we as humans struggle because of the effects of sin and brokenness to live into the truth of what it means that we are made in God's image. And so what we see in 1 Samuel 15 is King Saul struggling mightily and really failing to live into that as well. This is a bit of a case study on what not to do, we could say. 
Really, the first verse we read reminds us that something terribly wrong has happened, that something has gone horribly wrong. Verse 10, you see God saying, I regret that I made King Saul, for he has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. And in that one verse, you see two things. One, you see the failure of man, but specifically the failure of a man, that Saul failed to do the things that he said he would do. He failed to keep the commands of God. And yet we also see the compassion of God, the love of God. While God says he regrets that he made Saul, that's coming from a place of compassion. It's coming from the love of God towards humanity. And when he sees the freedom that he gives humanity used for our own self-destruction that grieves the heart of God. God regrets that in a deep and profound way. He regrets it with Saul and he regrets it with you and me as well. Whenever we use our own freedoms for our own self-destruction, when we use them to harm someone we are meant to dignify and to love, that is painful to the heart of God. And it should be painful to our hearts as well. Verse 17 and 18 shows Samuel's assessment of Saul. It says this, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission. And while those words are true specifically of Saul, there's also something universal to those that it's really, I think, helpful for us to sit with as well, because it reminds us that we as humans are not how we're meant to be. We are little and we are small. We are frail and sick and broken. And yet, even though all of that is true, we are made and meant to rule and to reign with God. As his sons and daughters, as kings and queens, we are meant to co-labor co and come alongside God in the ushering in of a new creation. That is what it means to be the church. And so it says, you are sent on a mission. That's why we also read from Matthew's gospel today, this reminder that Jesus sends us as the church on a mission to the ends of the earth to help usher in his coming kingdom. And yet Saul fails and countless others before and after him have failed to live into this good mission. We see that Saul failed to tend to his spiritual life. He doesn't watch over his own soul. Instead, he's caught up in his own pride, his own sense of value, his own giftedness, his own discernment, quite simply, he stops listening to God. He stops listening to God and trusts in his own abilities. And that's, I think, the heart of why we're spending so many weeks talking about EHS, because the heart of EHS is this reminder that we are meant to listen to God's voice. It's why verse 22 in our reading is so beautiful. It says this, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obedience to the voice of the Lord. Surely to obey is better than sacrifice. We're learning to heed the voice of the Lord, to follow as he leads and to realize, and this is where EHS is so helpful. It helps us realize if we don't tend to the whole of our lives, especially the parts that are unseen, we will never follow the Lord as he invites us to follow him, for us to find that life and goodness in following his voice. Pizcazero uses a very familiar image, especially in business and leadership coaching circles, but it's a helpful one. He talks about an iceberg where in this first chapter, he says 
Just as a reminder, an iceberg, only 10% of it is visible above the surface. The other 90% of the iceberg lives beneath the surface. And he applies this to the spiritual life and says, we as humans, as Christians, we so often tend to that small bit of the iceberg that is visible, that is public facing. We tend to our physical appearance. We tend to the parts of our lives that help shape our reputations and how others view us and see us and yet we can ignore our spiritual health, our emotional health, and we do so to our detriment. And so the invitation is to tend to that bottom 90%, that 90% below the surface as a way to actually listen to and hear the voice of the Lord because he wants to speak to us at every level in an integrated way in all of the ways in which he's made us as human beings, he invites us to offer those back to him as a gift and to have those shaped into his likeness. Scazzaro puts it this way, on page 20, he says, ignoring any aspect of who we are as men and women made in God's image always results in destructive consequences in our relationship with God, with others, and with ourselves. And Scazzaro says the reason we do this, or one of the reasons we do this, is because we think that if we listen to God's voice and if we hear his lead, it's going to be harmful to us, or it's going to be a heavy burden that we can't bear. And so we'd almost rather not hear that voice at all. And yet Pete reminds us so beautifully that Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And EHS in this chapter is this reminder, Scazzaro reminds us of this. He says that in Jesus' day, a yoke would have been handcrafted to fit uniquely each animal that it was meant to be placed upon. And so he translates Jesus' words in this way. He says, I have crafted a life for you, a yoke for you to wear that perfectly fits who you are. It is light and easy, I promise. And I wonder, can we believe that? Do we actually believe that to be true, especially in this cultural moment we find ourselves in? Because the world needs the church to believe these words and to live into them, for the church to be filled with people of substance, people who have tended to the interiority of their lives and been transformed, not just in public ways in that 10%, but been transformed holistically so that we actually have something to say as the church, as the people of God, that we actually have real mercy and real compassion to offer to a hurting and broken world. And yet if we are stunted in our spiritual growth, if we do not tend to our life with God, we will have nothing to offer as the church when the world desperately needs the church to be the church. Peace Cazero says, I love this. One of the highlights of this first chapter for me, he says this, I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I just kept doing the same things over and over and over again. I think that is the takeaway for us today from this first chapter. Now is not the time for us as the church to do the same things over and over and over again. Now is not the moment for spiritual infancy. That is true in all times and all places, but it is especially true for us today, for us to find and 
root out in our lives the places of emotional unhealth that we have allowed to fester, where we have allowed them to root in and we just do the same thing year after year. The world needs us, especially in light of the violence and the injustice, the health and economic crisis that is plaguing our global society right now. The church needs to have a voice and to have wisdom and guidance into these issues. And yet if we are spiritual infants doing the same thing again and again and again, we will have nothing to share. It'll be empty and hollow wisdom that does not have the power of God that is so desperately needed. And so as we wrap up, what I would ask you to do this week is to take the book and turn to page 22 and look at the 10 symptoms of emotional unhealth, just as a practical way to begin to tend to these in your own life. Read those those 10 symptoms and do so spiritually, do so prayerfully and say, God, where have I ignored these in my own life, in my own walk with you? Where have they left me as a spiritual infant instead of as a mature and devoted follower of you. They're really helpful. He talks about that temptation we have to do things for God without spending time with God, without actually hearing his voice. He says we are tempted to ignore the ways in which the past events of our lives bear upon our present realities. We ignore our emotions just across the board and we press down and ignore the fear and the anger that may live inside of us, the anxiety that shapes the kind of people that we are. On and on I could go, it's really good stuff. I would encourage you to listen to his words and to tend to your emotional health. Here's what we're gonna do as we wrap up. Really as a way to practice what I'm preaching and to ask the people of God, take a few minutes and tend to this now as the people of God. I want us to pray. Prayer opens us up to the voice of God. It opens us up to the brokenness of our world and it helps us move toward that brokenness. Chris McDaniel last week so beautifully said, so powerfully said, I may not understand a thing, but I don't have to fully understand it in order to move towards it. And so prayer helps us move towards chaos and brokenness and sickness in our world rather than keeping it at arm's length. And so I want us to pray together. Earlier this week, Gypsy Savage found this beautiful prayer. Gypsy is our kids pastor and she shared it with our team here on the north side. And this is a liturgy I wanna lead us through as we wrap up today. It comes from a group called The Rabbit Room. They put out a beautiful prayer book a few years ago called Every Moment Holy, which I can't recommend enough to you. And yet this is a liturgy they've written just in the last few weeks, specifically mindful of the pandemic and the systemic injustice that we are wrestling with right here and right now. And so it's a bit of a a real-time liturgy, if we could call it that. And so it'll come up on the screen and I would encourage you to pray this with us. There, There will be responses as well that I would encourage you to ask the church, even though we're apart, even though we're distanced, offer your voice, join your voice and your heart with this prayer. And we pray it together as the people of God. This is called, a liturgy for a time of widespread suffering. Christ our King, our world is overtaken by unexpected calamity and by a host of attending fears, worries, and insecurities. 
We witness suffering, confusion, and hardship multiplied around us, and we find ourselves swept up in these same anxieties and troubles, dismayed by so many uncertainties. Now we turn to you, O God, in this season of our common distress. Be merciful, O Christ, to those who suffer, to those who worry, to those who grieve, to those who are threatened or harmed in any way by this upheaval. Let your holy compassions be active throughout the world even now, tending the afflicted, comforting the brokenhearted, and bringing hope to many who are hopeless. Use even these hardships to woo our hearts nearer to you, O God. Indeed, O Father, may these days of disquiet become a catalyst for conviction and repentance, for the tendering of our affections, for the stirring of our sympathies, for the refining of our love. We are your people who are called by you. We need not be troubled or alarmed. Indeed, O Lord, let us love now more fearlessly, remembering that you created us and appointed us to live in these very places, in the midst of these unsettled times. It is no surprise to you that we are here now, sharing in this turmoil along with the rest of our society, for you have called your children to live as salt and light among the nations, praying and laboring for the flourishing of the communities where we dwell, acting as agents of your forgiveness, salvation, healing, reconciliation, and hope in the very midst of an often troubled world. And in these holy vocations, you have not left us helpless, O Lord, because you have not left us at all. Your spirit remains among us. Inhabit now your church, O spirit of the risen Christ. Unite and equip your people for the work before them. Father, empower your children to live as your children. In times of distress, let us respond, not as those who would instinctively entrench for our own self-preservation, but rather as those who, in imitation of their Lord, would move in humble obedience toward the needs and hurts of their neighborhoods and communities. You are not ashamed to share in our sufferings, Jesus. Let us now be willing to share in yours, serving as your visible witnesses in this broken world. Hear now these words, you children of God, and be greatly encouraged. The Lord's throne in heaven is yet occupied. His rule is eternal and his good purposes on earth will be forever accomplished. So we need never be swayed by the brief and passing panics of this age. You are the king of the ages, O Christ, and history is held in your father's hands. We, your people, know the good and glorious end of this story. Our heavenly hope is secure. In this time of widespread suffering, then let us rest afresh in the surpassing peace of that vision, that your whole church on earth might be liberated to love more generously and sacrificially. Now labor in and through us, O Lord, extending and multiplying the many expressions of your mercy. Amen. We continue in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forever. Amen. Amen. May God bless you this week. And as we go, let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.